Week 14, wholehearted living. It's 11.20, so we might be here till 2. Is that all right? Okay. Just kick back, relax. We got water. We got coffee. <clears throat> For the last two weeks, we've been watching the life of Samson, the next judge that God raised up to redeem the kingless kingdom of Israel. Remember, we're in this series of the kingless kingdoms, that God is raising up judges to redeem the kingdoms where there is not a king and they need to lean on the king. Great picture of America. We're in a place where we need to lean on the king and not on the, the kings that we have placed in front of him. Amen? 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 I'm speaking in tongues. I just don't know about it. God had a specific purpose for Samson. So God said, I want you to be brought up in a certain way. So he told his mother, I want Samson to be brought up in the Nazarite vow. And if you remember the Nazarite vow, he said, no wine, no grape juice, no raisins. Last week I said no figs, but what I meant was no grapes. Don't cut your hair. Don't get near a dead body. Don't go to no funerals. Don't do nothing. I want you to be set apart. And it, it, the whole point of the Nazarite vow was I want you to be so set apart that when people see you, they can't help but identify you. And I think that that is, I know that that is a call for the church. That we have got, not, not that we're in, you know, embracing a, in order to be part of relentless, you've got to become a Nazarite. That's not the message. The message is we have got to walk back into the identity of Christ to such a degree that there is no distinction between the people, that there, there is a clear distinction between the people of the world and the people of God. That when they look at our lives, there is no question who we belong to. And the fact of the matter is most people of God, when you look at them and you hear them, you question who do you belong to. We have got to get back to the place where we don't question who do we belong to by the way we live, by the way we speak, by the way we represent him on this earth. Well, he was set apart, but we have seen that Samson has compromised a lot. He's compromised a lot. Marrying a woman not of God, getting near dead bodies. He, got, he, he, he killed a lion, then he went back to the lion, then he started feasting the honey that the, the, the bees laid a hive in the lion. He started feasting on the dead carcass. He went near vineyards. He, he had no business going near but God used all of it to create an opportunity to cause Samson to rise up, walk in his purpose, and begin to destroy the Philistines, the people who were oppressing the people of God. So Samson's wife has died. His wife sold him out, and even though Samson was still trying to honor his covenant of marriage, when he came back, he went to kill the Philistines out of his anger because that was his purpose. His purpose was never for God to empower him to kill a lion. His purpose was for God to empower him to take care of the Philistines. Well, they burned his father-in-law's house down with his wife in it. Samson's wife has died. He's killed a, thou a thousand Philistines alone with a jawbone of a donkey, the first judge we have seen that has taken on a whole army by himself. Dude is strong. We all know about Samson's strength. And the Bible tells us that Samson has been judging Israel for 20 years. So we're picking up today in Judges 16, verse 1. Now, you would think after the past two or three chapters of Samson making all of these compromises, marrying the wrong woman, doing the wrong thing, he'd learn from his mistakes. But in Judges 16, 1, one day Samson went to the Philistine town of Gaza and spent the night with a prostitute. 
Samson just surrendered to the needs of God. He has seen great victory. Dude just killed a thousand Philistine soldiers with the jawbone of a donkey. And the first thing he does is, let me go find something to meet my needs. Instead of turning to God to fulfill his every need. He goes to the town he is supposed to redeem in search of something to fulfill his need. Philippians 4.19 I am convinced that my God will fully satisfy every need that you have. Not some. Not many. Every. And if, I'm, if I can just say it, Amy brought that word about marriages. Some of you are depending on your husband or wife to meet a need that you should be depending on God to meet. And if you would start leaning into God's provision, you would, start holding, you would stop holding them accountable to something that they should not be held accountable to. And you would start serving in your marriage rather than taking. It's going to get real. I have seen the abundant riches of glory revealed to me through the anointed one, Jesus Christ. We know that principle, but what do we do? And what does Samson do? We start living our life in categories. We have external categories like Samson. In everyone else's eyes, Samson is doing the Nazarite thing. Y'all see, I don't eat grapes. But what no one saw is he was going to vineyards. Y'all see my hair? I didn't cut it. But he's going to find a prostitute. We do categories. I go to church. But no one sees what you do in the private places, right? I read my Bible, but it's not affecting a part of your life. I was teaching on Wednesday night out of a message I was listening to from my favorite preacher, Damon Thompson. He was talking about the tithe. Don't worry, I'm not going to talk about the money thing right now, but maybe I am. What is the tithe? It's not I give what I want. That's an offering. If you've, taught, if you've been taught that, that the tithe is I give unto God what I've been led to give, you've been taught wrong. That is, there is a tithe and an offering. You don't get to decide what you do with your tithe. You get to decide what you do with your offering. What is a tithe? A 10% of the whole that represents the whole. The reason I give a tithe is so that it is a representation that God has all of what I have financially. But this is what we've done with quiet times. I'm going to give God, I, I'm going to spend 15 minutes with God in the morning for a quiet time so that I can get my Bible study time in and then we live in our day and we live our day in a separate compartment. Not real, and we do it because I need to do the right thing, right? But if we would shift our mind to understanding that a quiet time is a set-apart, consecrated time of your day, the reason I'm getting in my 15 minutes is not to get it out of the way, but to give God a representation that because I'm setting this part aside, God, you have my entire day. So that 
in, you're in the office and your boss yells at you, but for some reason your first reaction is to pray. Because in that moment, you've, it's consecrated unto him because of the tithe of your quiet time. I was talking uh, to someone last week, if I, if I may just, uh, this, this gentleman over here, I forget, I'm sorry, I forgot your name, Matt, Matt, I should know it by now, I'm horrible. He was saying how sometimes after work, you know, the first thing he wants to do is come home and, you know, obviously like he's frustrated because of work. How many of y'all get frustrated because of work? I'm a preacher and I get frustrated because of work. Y'all frustrate me, <laughs> Right? Right? You're sitting there for hours and hours and hours preparing a sermon and someone complaining and the first thing you want to do is not bless them. <laughs> and he was telling me that he has found that when he comes home, in order to shift his attitude, it's not to rest. It's to consecrate the rest of his afternoon with giving in this. And he said he finds that it shifts his attitude more than 15 minutes of TV. Right? You're welcome. I've got your points. <laughs> but we, we, do this, we do this category thing. We have these external categories and we have these private categories. We have these God gets this and I have that and we don't have these wholehearted, we don't have this wholehearted living idea. We play games with God. Let me make sure that my witness is right while my private life is not given to him and you wonder why nothing is transforming. Because nothing is going to transform out of a divided place. Why do you think the church has done a horrible job of not transforming Savannah? Because we have compartmentalized the church. What have we done with the church? You people come here to get right with God. What does the Bible say? I've made you right. So why have we made the church in a compartment of let's get you right? Repent, 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 repent. Ask for forgiveness. Repent, repent, repent. And just in case you didn't get it the first 365 times you came to church, next year we're going to have a new vision. Repent, repent, <laughs> repent. What does God say? Repent. What is repent? It's turning the other direction. Walk the other direction by changing the way you think. But for some reason, we've made walk the other direction a circle in the church. And we built this culture of keep walking like this. And we've never given any of the people of God what to do in the other direction. And we've guilted them into, or us, into this whole idea of Sunday morning is about let's get spirit filled in this planned 45 minutes of worship. And I'm talking about us too because we're going to shift some things. And then go into this planned Holy Spirit-led offering time. And then maybe the Holy Spirit is going to lead us into an announcement time. And then maybe if God wants to, we're going to have a sermon. And then maybe by the leading of the Holy Spirit, it's going to be around two hours. 
but we're so different than the religious people. And no one walks out with, what do I do? I get it. I'm saved. But church is all about come get saved. And everyone else in the crowd, we've developed this culture where we come to church and we're sitting in the seats and we're like, I'm saved, so I must be a mature Christian. So I'm just not going to do anything. And I'm just going to pray for all you lost people. Oh, tattoo, you lost. Oh, Lord, I see them not lifting their hands. They must not have the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and you hadn't done a thing but revel in your salvation, and you call it pride, and you've, or the Lord calls that pride. And what's happened with your compartmentalized Christianity is that because you feel like you're so mature in salvation, you haven't done anything with it, therefore you haven't had any relationship with God because you are eternally secure and then Jesus is like I don't know you all because you said a man made prayer called the salvation creed and you wonder why you still you, you are still scared of demons but you're saved you still scared of a bump in the night but you saved You strong in Jesus, but you scared to touch COVID? I, I think Jesus, like, it was recorded about touching leprosy. But the church who is depending on God, we skip rows for the protection that he can't provide. No, what it is is you don't know how to pray for that protection because you can't get out of your compartmentalized religion. You don't know how to, 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 to speak over something because you don't know what ecclesia is all about. What you know is your modernized version of Catholicism called Christianity and you put theology above Holy Spirit. That's what the church has become. James 4, 7, so then surrender to God, stand up to the devil, resist him, he will turn and run away from you. You know why the devil is not running away? Because no one has learned to surrender. If you submit to God and surrender to God, the enemy will run. But if you surrender to your own desires, he ain't going to run. Because he ain't got nothing to be scared of. Look, look, look at this. Judges 16.2, the next verse. Where is Samson? He's in the prostitute's place, spending the night, looking for a need that God can supply. God can supply the need of, I need someone. He's three and one, pretty sure he can take care of the need of not being alone. Verse 2, word soon spread that Samson was there, so the men of Gaza gathered together, waited all night at the town gates. They kept quiet during the night, saying to themselves, when the light of morning comes, we're going to kill him. The enemy did not run from the dude that was famous for killing 1,000 of them with a jawbone. Now, I don't know about you, 
But if I heard that a dude was in town that killed a thousand of my brothers with a bone in hand, and they all had like spears and chariots, I don't think I would have been crouching outside the window waiting for him. I would have been like, you know, time to travel. But they're sitting out there waiting out, waiting for him. Because when you are not surrendered to God and surrendered to your own desires, the enemy will camp around the areas of your compromise looking for opportunities to attack. And that's exactly what they were doing. All they were focused on was that man's compromising. They didn't see his strength. They looked at his weakness. And the problem with the culture in this area is that they don't see the strength of Christians. They see the highlighted areas of our weakness. Why would the enemy be scared of a church that won't meet without masks, social distancing, and we, we can't do anything that is bold for God because we don't know what boldness for God is? Why would the enemy be scared of that? Wake up! Let the light in. Open up the windows. Let the light into the ignorance that is called the boldness of the church. We need to get bold. We need to walk in what we believe, not just proclaim it and say, just in case. But watch this. Verse 3. Samson stayed in bed only until midnight. And then he got up. He took hold of the doors of the town gate, including the two posts, lifted them up, bar and all. He put them on his shoulders, carried them all the way to the top of the hill across from Hebron. Despite Samson sinning against God, God still gave Samson the supernatural strength to escape the Philistines, to escape the enemy camping around his area of compromise. Because God's purpose for Samson was much bigger than Samson. And I think some of you need to hear that today. God's purpose for you is much bigger than you. And that's something I've had to realize. God's purpose for me is much bigger than me. And we tend to limit our calling on our past or current mistakes. Well, God can't use me. God can't redeem this. And God's like, you're still all about you. I didn't build you just for you, my friend. You, you ever hear that like, you don't know my life, I can't serve God? Hear me out. Your purpose is much bigger than you. You don't know what I've been through. It's much bigger than what you've been through. It's much bigger than anything that you have ever faced. You just need to be like Samson and be willing and be ready. You need to stop living in categories. Realize that when God purchased you with his blood, he bought the whole package. Not, compartmental, not compartmentalized areas of you. Not just the saved parts. The whole flipping thing. God gave Samson the strength to pick up those doors. Because when we're talking about the doors of the town gates, we ain't talking about American doors that are six feet tall and thin enough to put your fist through. We're talking about doors that are 60 feet tall, made out of pure cedar or massive stone blocks. Samson picked them up on his shoulders, and it says he carried them across from the hill. Some believe it was 10 to 14 miles away. 
And the thing about the gates in the ancient world is gates were crucial to the city's defense. They represented safety if they were destroyed. They represented destruction. God was using Samson in this moment. Despite where they were waiting for him, Samson got up at midnight, picked up the doors that represented the safety of their fortified territories, and he said, I'm going to pick these up. I'm going to carry them across to an ungodly distance with an ungodly weight. And, 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 and he was showing the enemy, enemy, you may have, you may thought you won, with the thought that you gave Samson that something fleshly could meet his desires, but let me remind you with this mocking representation. Enemy, you can't win with this one compromise. I handed my people over to you, the Philistines, and I'm the one that decides when I'm going to get them back. And I'm going to do it through this man. And here's the key, because you're thinking, why? He's compromising. Are we going to preach a gospel that means compromise all you want? No. What's the key? Read verse 3 again. Samson got up at midnight. Something got him up. You can either stay in bed with what you compromise with, or at some point, you want to have a wake-up call and get up from the bed that you've made. Samson got up in the middle of the night and realized, I can't stay here. And the church has got to wake up. We cannot stay here. We can't stay in the compromise of God's bigger, but COVID gets more glory. We can't stay in the area of compromise of let's not offend people, so we're going to support a, a, a man in leadership of this country that stands for everything that God does not. I heard someone say this week, you know what the church has done? We've done the Judas handshake with politics. We cannot do that anymore. We need to be vocal. And that means you may lose friends and you may lose family. But if he's enough, who cares what you lose? Get up. Get up from the compromise. Get up from the compartmentalized areas of your life and say, I'm not going to stay here anymore. I'm going to walk forward. Oh my gosh, that's a big door. That's a big gate. That's the enemy. God, let's do this. I don't, I don't want to pick up the weight of the stronghold of religion in this area and racism in this area and LGBTQ, XYZ, ABCDEFG. I don't want to do this. Okay, God, let's pick up the weight because it's not me. It's you. Let's do this. They're going to look at us like we're weird. Yeah, they already do. I ain't going to lie, sometimes I get bitter. Churches, you know, you, know, you know how many invites I get to preach? They all say the same thing. Oh, yeah, we heard your sermon. It was good. How your church doing? Well, we're struggling. You know, we, we honoring COVID and we got masks and we just can't get anyone to come. How you doing? 
Well, uh, we're we praying about more rows to put out, not to skip, but because they're starting to fill up. Well, how are you doing? Are you advertising? No, we're hidden behind a liquor store and a pawn shop. How are people finding you? I don't know. They said they just pulled up and saw a random sign. They said they tried out. hear what I'm saying? So the Philistines understand something. Samson's strong. Saw that dude pick up a 60 foot tall gate made of pure cedar. They get it now. That man's strong. We got to figure out why. What is the source of his strength? <coughs> Verse 4. Sometime later, Samson fell in love with a woman named Delilah. Hey there, Delilah. Who lived in the valley of Sorek. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, Entice Samson and tell you what makes him so strong and how he can be overpowered and tied up securely. Then each of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Categories. Here we go again. Not including God in the decision, Samson's following his heart. Last thing that got him in trouble, he looked at a Philistine girl and said, that girl, fine. Let me go marry her. He's doing it again. Just left the prostitute's house. God used him, and now he's like, hey there, Delilah. You look so pretty. Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of your heart springs the issues of your life. Out of your heart springs the issues of life. You got an issue, check your heart. Stop following your heart, people. Stop following your heart. Where are you going? I'm just going to follow my heart. Well, out of your heart springs the issues of your life. Why has the biggest response been follow your heart when God says, follow me? Follow the leading of the Spirit and let that leading be the thing that transforms your soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions, which is your heart. And, and, and people of the world do it all the time without realizing it because it's not always follow your heart. It's one thing I hear in the South all the time. Why do you keep doing that? It's just how I was raised. It's the biggest stronghold in the South. Why do you go to that church if you're not getting anything from it? Well, that's where my family grew up. Break free. Where's your allegiance to? Spirit or heart? Samson's heart decisions bring about all these issues because he's living in categories. God, you get the hair. You get the, the no wine. But in this area, 
I'm following my heart. I'm following my eyes. Hey there, Delilah. I want you. And Delilah ain't in love with Samson. She's in love with money. And the first thing they do is, they, hey there, Delilah. Can you entice Samson? If, if, you, if you can find out why he's so strong, we're going to give you 1,100 pieces of silver. And Delilah's like, all right. Which brings out something about Samson. Don't watch the movies and the TV shows that make Samson look like a UFC fighter. If Samson looked strong, they wouldn't be trying to figure out the source of his strength. Why is he so strong? It wasn't obvious. Why is that church changing the culture? It should not be obvious. Talked about this Wednesday night. You know how they weighed money back in the day in biblical times? Wait. How do we weigh money now? All papers the same is how many zeros are on the, on the 10 versus 100. What has the church done? How powerful is your church? It's not the weight of glory. It's not how mature the people are. It's how many people do you have? And all we build is, let's get people, 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 because then we can change the city. And you've got all these people and no change. Not saying that the number of people is a bad thing, but is the number weighty? Twelve weighty disciples. Versus thousands coming to Jesus saying, we want healing, we want healing, we want healing. Sell all your stuff and, 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 and follow me. <laughs> y'all laughing, but I can name about 40 of y'all who ain't giving a dollar to this church. Ooh, ooh. But you come and get messages. Praise Jesus. See, now y'all like me now. <laughs> I'm just helping you. I'm just helping you. I'm just kidding, by the way. There's like 40 people in here. <laughs> Lord, I'll, okay. All right. Please come back next week. All right. <laughs> Where your treasure at there, your heart will be also. They weren't willing to give Jesus everything. There was not a weight attached to, they just wanted everything out of him. But that's what the culture does. We, they love the church when we feed them food. When we have a food pantry, maybe it's the time to recalibrate the, sh the, 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 the shifting, the focus. We're praying about stuff like that. We're, 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 can, can I say about the Saturday? I'm going to say it anyways. We're, yeah, no, okay. We're praying about, like we've been at the recovery center in Savannah for the past six years. We're praying about, do we continue? Not because we don't love them, but is it time to recalibrate and raise more up here? Because there's, there's something shifting. Even we're rethinking things. Probably the same thing with the homeless ministries. 
Because the church has always been, what can we do for all them? And there's been a, there's been a loss in building up the weightiness. Because I'm looking for the day where one of y'all has one conversation where a homeless man is pulled out of the camp and into the workforce instead of enabling their issue. You know what an an effective church does? There is no longer a need for a food pantry. Okay. They were trying to figure out Samson's source of strength. They wanted to know how. They wanted to know how can we tie this man up. They saw him as weak. They wanted to figure out the strength. Ephesians 6.10 says the final word, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Before I read this passage, I just want to ask you, what are you relying on? The strength that is you or the strength that you have access to? Because if you're a wholehearted living, you won't limit yourself according to what you can see. You'll be led by faith, which is the evidence of things of which you can not see. What is Samson's strength? It's the evidence of something that they could not see. So they're trying to figure it out. Look at what happens in verse 6. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me what makes you so strong and what it would take to tie you up securely. Samson replied, if I were tied up with seven new bowstrings that have not yet been dried, I'd become as weak as anyone else. Now, you know Samson's lying to his wife or this girl, whoever he's with. I don't know. Is, is Samson married to Delilah? I don't even know. Probably not. Samson is all full of sin. <laughs> he lied to her. So the Philistine rulers brought Delilah seven new bowstrings and she tied Samson up with them. She had hidden some men in one of the inner rooms of her house, and she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. But Samson snapped the bowstrings as a piece of string snaps when it's burned by a fire. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Afterward, Delilah said to him, you've been making fun of me. You son of, no, and telling me lies. Now please tell me how you can be tied up securely. So Samson replied, all right, I'll tell you. If I were tied up with brand new ropes that never been used, I'd become as weak as anyone else. So Delilah took new ropes, tied them up with them. The men were hiding in the inner room as before, in the inner room as before, and again Delilah cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. But again, Samson snapped the ropes with his arms as if they were thread. And then Delilah said, You've been making fun of me and telling me lies. Now tell me how you can be tied up securely. So Samson, you would think this woman would catch on at some point. I'm getting to that. So Samson replied, well, if you were to weed the seven braids of my hair, you got weave, yeah, you, you got weave in your hair, Justin? Dang it. If you were to weave the seven braids of my hair into the fabric on your loom and tighten it up with a loom shuttle, I'll become as weak as anyone. So while he slept, that's a deep sleeper, Delilah wove the seven braids of his hair into the fabric, and then she tightened it with the loom shuttle, and again she cried out, Samson, wake up. The Philistines have come to capture you. But Samson woke up, pulled back the loom shuttle, yanked his hair away from the loom and the fabric. Three times, Delilah tries to figure out Samson's strength. First time a bowstring, second time new ropes, three times waves hair in the fabric. Every time, he lets Delilah 
tie him up. Hey, there's Philistines in the closet. I don't know how they got there, but they here. Oh, no. And then he breaks free every time. And all three times, she's like, you've been making fun of me. The funny thing is, Samson didn't tell her truth the three times. So that tells me something that Samson, Samson's not a, Samson's not a fool. He knows that Delilah has bad intentions. I ain't going to tell Delilah what my weak, the weakness is. He couldn't be bound with anything, but he kept binding himself with a categorized heart because Samson allowed this bondage. He knew he was tied to something that he should not have been. But he kept letting that thing tie him up, and he kept having to break free. Samson allowed his own bondage. And some of us are in our own bondage, and we keep wondering, when is God going to free me? Your bondage being freed ain't up to God. God is not in control. You are. God's in charge. Did, did he just say God's not in control? Yeah, I did. Well, why won't God do this for me? He has released the chains and has given you the authority to come in alignment with him or not. And when you come into alignment with him and submit to him and surrender to him, then his charge controls what's happening. But it takes your surrender and your yes. He doesn't just say, live how you want, sin how you want, and I'm going to make it work for your good. No, 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 no. He makes it work for those who love him. Love is an action. What is the action? I surrender. But what has the church done? The grace of God makes it work, and you can live like hell, and God's in control. That's why we have empty-hearted, compartmentalized Christians. The strength of God definitely gives us the power to break free from bondage. But why do we keep walking back into bondage? That's on us, not God. And just in case you needed a scripture to prove it, Malachi 3, 6-7. I am the Lord. I do not change. That is why your descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me and I'll return to you says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? That's what people think. We've never left you, God. Well, if you never left, you wouldn't be in your issue. God's in control. Why don't you do something? You've left me. Because I will never leave or forsake you. You're the one that's gone away from my commands and my decrees. We don't have to follow the, the laws of God. Well, are you talking about being made right or are you talking about living out of bondage? Because what has the church done? You don't have to live by the laws of God anymore. No, 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 no. Living by the law is not what buys salvation. But living by the law definitely breaks bondage and yokes. It does not make you righteous or justify you. But there is still an order in the kingdom. 
And the crazy thing about living by the law, it becomes natural when you walk into your identity as a beloved son or daughter. We make law a bad thing. When you walk as a son or daughter, you don't have to think about law. Like, like, like think about kids. When they want something from mom and dad and when they're like when it's everything's good at the house, they mind them just fine. They ain't got to second guess anything. But when we want our own way, break law, break law, break law, break law, break law, break law. It's called rebellion. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Why do we make the law of God such a bad word in the church? I love the fact that God has said, if you, then I'll. Okay. Honor your father and mother. I don't want to honor my father and mother. Okay, fine. Then don't get mad at God when you're losing out on things. He's given you the, the key. Spirit-filled Christians do it. The keys of the kingdom. Law. Turn the key. Honor the law. It's not for your salvation. It's not for your justification. It's unlocking heaven. Like we should rejoice. Why is law such a bad thing? Am I on a tangent? Y'all right? Some tangents are okay, though. Samson goes back into bondage because his whole heart has not been given over to God. Because part of his heart is still wrapped up in Delilah. He's living partly in an ungodly thing. And when you start to get compromised in the ungodly thing, you overlook the things that prey on your weaknesses. And look at what Delilah does differently the third time, verse 15. You know how she keeps saying, you're making fun of me? Well, look what she said in verse 15. Then Delilah pouted. How can you tell me I love you? That's the same language that his last wife used to get him to tell her the riddle that got him mad and started killing Philistines. How can you tell me I love you when you, love you, when you don't share your secrets with me? You've made fun of me three times. You still haven't told me why you're so strong. And when the enemy plays on your divided heart, you'll start to make some bad decisions to protect the divide rather than to surrender it. Kind of like the church. We protect while we're divided between honoring the world system rather than his. Making ungodly things godly. Verse 16, she tormented him with her nagging day after day until he was sick to death of it. Finally, Samson shared his secret with her. My hair's never been cut. He confessed, for I was dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave, and I would become as weak as anyone else. The strongest man in the world became weak to an ungodly relationship, all because of a divided heart. And you have to wonder, maybe Samson became a little prideful in his strength. Because he was so willing to tell her the secret. You ever thought God will cover you? Even though God will cover you and use you, it does not mean you're untouchable. That's why the Bible says pride comes before a fall. When you're weak, he is strong. You do have weak places no matter how great you become. That means you still have places of need that you cannot come to fully rely on yourself. 
the one thing, the one thing that he kept set apart, he just exposed. Verse 18. Delilah realized he had finally told her the truth. So she sent for the Philistine rulers. Come back one more time, she said. He's finally told me a secret. So the Philistine rulers returned with the money in their hands. Delilah lulled Samson to sleep with his head in her lap. Look, he had peace about revealing the weakness. And then she called in a man to shave off the seven locks of his hair. And this way she began to bring him down and his strength left him. And then she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. When he woke up, he thought, I will do as before and shake myself free. He didn't realize that God had left him. He didn't realize that the strength that God deposited in him was gone. But he didn't, it, he did not realize the Lord had left him. The moment the thing he kept set apart was cut off, the strength left him, and he didn't even realize it because he had been so consumed with himself. It's a dangerous place when believers become so consumed with our success and our victories that we're not even aware when the empowerment of God leaves us or is absent in a moment because we're half-hearted in it. Hashtag the modern church. And if I may be so bold, I'm just going to. I'm going to stop talking about. The, I'm going to start talking about us in reference. If relentless ever comes to a place in a pandemic where we have to shut the doors, it's because we're relying on ourselves and not Him. And let me define shutting the doors. I'm not talking about a building. If the church has to close because of a building being taken away, where's our strength from? A building? Or are we the people of God with or without? I ain't worried about it. I think, think, think about what the American church has done. We're not, we're going to take away your building. You no longer have rent to pay. Oh, no. You mean you're going to take away our rent and we don't have to pay a fee for it? Oh, no. <laughs> Y'all hear what I'm saying? Are we really on, depending on his strength? Are we depending on the strength of our worship or on the strength of a sound system pushing sound? Why are we trying to get our voices to raise so that the city will hear us when they take away our power? It's coming one day. It might be 30 years from now. It might be 50 years from now. But there will be a day where it's going to get back to how it was. I'm just letting you know it's, it's going to come. And that's why we have to be defined by our weight and not by our assets. Does that scare you? It don't scare me. This is a big...
big example of Samson's wasted potential. Samson thought he could get away with whatever he wanted to. Wholehearted living. Your life at no point ever becomes about you. So look at verse 21. So the Philistines captured him, gouged out his eyes. They, they took him to Gaza where he was bound with bronze chains and forced to grind grain in the prison. He had no strength. It's funny. He acted in, in, the, he acted in the past few chapters in the freedom of his choices that appealed to his eye. And the very first thing that was taken away from him was his eyes. And now he's in chains and without eyes. But God never leaves you or forsakes you or gives up on you. So look at verse 22. But before long, his hair began to grow back. Except, unless your name's Kyle Garrison. But <laughs> Look at this. The thing he lost began to return. And the question I had when I read that, they cut off his hair and the strength left. When it, began, when it began to grow back, why didn't they ever think, cut it off again? Because the enemy doesn't have one thing, wisdom. Yet we still get moved by a false representation of wisdom in the plot of the enemy. It took 10 plagues to move Pharaoh. The church was moved by one. COVID-19. Wake up, church. Yeah, I ain't never thought about that, have you? God, Samson lost the thing that caused him to stumble and gained the thing that caused him to rise. So in verse 23, the Philistine rulers held a great festival, offering sacrifices, praising their God, Dagon. They said, our God has given us victory over our enemy, Samson. That's exactly what the enemy's doing right now. We finally got the church. They can't meet. And most of the churches come into agreement with it. They can't. They don't have power anymore. They're closing their doors. People ain't giving because we got the governmental shutdown. Do y'all see what's happening? When the people saw him, they praised their Dagon God. Our God's delivered our enemy to us. The one who killed so many of us is now in our power. Half drunk by now, the people demanded. Bring out Samson so he can amuse us. That's what the government's doing. That's what the government tried to do to churches in California. Try to meet. And God's like, oh, no, 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 no. You don't have that authority. I don't know if y'all read, but that plot failed. Bring out Samson so he can amuse us. So he was brought from the prison to amuse them. They had him stand between the pillars supporting the roof. Look at the enemy. We won. Dagon's stronger than your God. We took your eyes. You can't do nothing. Verse 26, Samson said to the young servant who was leading them by the hand, would you place my hand against the pillars to hold up the temple? I want to rest against them. 
Look at how they are mocking him. The dude has killed thousands by himself, and they got the youngest, weakest servant leading him by the hand. He can't see anything. His strength is gone. His hair is just starting to grow back, but he has not been living in the law of the Nazarite vow for any length of time. So all they're seeing is, oh, yeah, you had not had time to do nothing. Your God is so little. It's all on you, Samson. But God. Someone just shout that, but God. Verse 27. And now the temple was completely filled with the Philistines. All the Philistine rulers were there. What was Samson's purpose? Deliver the people from the who? The Philistines. There were about 3,000 men and women on the roof. What was Samson's hands on? The pillars underneath the what? The roof. The roof. No. They (laughs) They were watching as Samson amused them. Then Samson prayed to the Lord. Finally. Samson prayed to the Lord. Sovereign Lord, remember me again. What I read in Malachi, return to me and I'll return to you. Sovereign Lord, remember me again. Oh God, please strengthen me just one more time. With one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. And then Samson put his hands on the two center pillars that held up the temple, pushing against them with both hands. Now remember, he's got no strength, but he's no longer relying on his what? His strength. What is he relying on? He prayed, let me die with the Philistines. Because he was no longer consumed with himself. He was consumed with his purpose. And the temple crashed down on the Philistine rulers and all the people. So he killed more people when he died than he had during his entire lifetime. And later his brothers and his other relatives went down to get his body. They took him back home and buried him between Zorah and Eshtal, where his father Manoah was buried. Samson had judged Israel for 20 years. He didn't have to grow his hair back. He didn't have to get the Nazarite bow right. He didn't have to prove himself again. All he had to do was one thing. Lord, use me to accomplish your purpose. And he surrendered himself for the glory of God. You know what wholehearted living is all about? Surrender yourself for the glory of God, no matter the cost. And if we become a people that would be all about that wholehearted living, full surrender to the glory of God, I don't care what happens in this nation, I don't care what happens at any degree, his glory will be revealed and our God would be made the most famous among the nations. So let's become a people all about wholehearted living. Can we say amen to that?
Amen. Let's give God praise this morning. Come on.